Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 253. And in today's episode, as a result of my a lot of travels in the last weeks, um, I'm going to talk about a specific topic. And this is going to be for people that are handling dogs uh, in hunt tests and in events. It's going to be about that because I've been able to judge in a number of different parts of the country and see a lot of different handlers and a lot of different dogs and a lot of different tests. And then also had a, uh, gave a seminar that I had mentioned before up in the Northwest. And so I come, I always come out of that, those things, you know, basically sort of inspired by what I've seen. And uh, so that's going to be today's. I'm just going to talk about uh, the dog handling thing. And the reason that I'm saying this is because I've judged, I judged a lot, a lot of dogs, a lot of days. And as I've said before in these podcasts, the dogs, you know, just the ability of the dogs is, is uh, remarkable. It is really, really improved. And people have, are breeding better dogs and people are buying better dogs and people are getting these dogs trained well and way, way better than the old days. So the primary thing that I see when I'm judging or observing a test that I'm not judging, the, the generally I'd have to say statistically, the primary, the biggest thing for which people fail is not the dog. It is not the dog that the dog is not in general. There's a few that weren't quite ready, you know, they weren't quite up to that yet. Um, but mostly the dogs are, the dogs are capable of, of running whatever tests they're doing, but there's some handler stuff that went on that basically caused the, the failure. And so I just wanted to talk about that topic. It's not like a real popular topic. You know, people are like, oh, good. Tell me everything I'm doing wrong. <laughs> or people will tell you that, but they don't really want to hear that stuff. So I'm just going to, I'm going to generalize, but I'm going to talk about just some things to think about for all the dog handlers out there. Just some stuff to think about. So maybe minimize your chances of having to uh, fail and go at it again. So I'm going to do, I'm going to do two things. Break this, since this is Training the Pointing Labrador podcast, I'm going to do retriever stuff, marks and blinds which applies to everybody that runs a hunt test of any venue. And then I'm going to have a little part at the end on the upland stuff for the people that are running pointing dogs in the upland field. So one of the biggest difficulties that appears for people is that they're nervous. Now, that's fine. Everybody, the pros are nervous. They're just used to being nervous. And so the nervous doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You know, if they're not nervous, if they're not trying to do their best, then they're not doing very well. So everyone is nervous. And when you, <laughs> but some people, the nervousness overtakes the thought process and the preparation. And so uh, talking about what happens when you're, when you're nervous and we've all been there. I can remember, you know, in the beginning, I, I got nervous right up to the end. I just, again, I was used to it and I'd done it so much that I still knew exactly what to do. When, when you get nervous and you're not super experienced, your mind kind of doesn't think the way it would if you were just at a comfortable, relaxed training day. You know, you're nervous and then you're thinking about whatever thing. It's different for people. I've never been here before. There's kids over there yelling. 
the gallery's too close, the, this is too far, you know, I've never run a mark that far, I've never run a mark in that much cover, fill in the blank, whatever it is, they're thinking about that, which is not at all what you want on your mind <laughs> when you go up there. They're, they're nervous about that, they're nervous about who's behind them in the judges' chairs, they're nervous about because last time they failed because their dog grabbed a bird off the drying rack and they got failed. So now they're worried about the drying rack, et cetera, et cetera. You get my point. People are thinking about things that are not useful in what you're doing at that moment. So when nervousness is that, and that is something you can control a little bit or at least begin to practice controlling. People are nervous about something their dog does. Oh my, I hope my dog doesn't break. I can't, there's no worse thought in the world they have in your mind than that. So I'm worried my dog's going to break. I'm worried my dog is just going to run out there and not have a clue what it's doing. Or I'm worried the dog won't sit on any whistles after the fourth or fifth one. And so their mind is on all of these things, again, which are not productive. Do not work toward having a successful uh, go. So the only thing I'll say to that is you got to do, you've got to work through that yourself. But every handler, particularly if you're new and still a little edgy, and of course you're going to get advice everywhere. Everyone knows exactly what you should do, or worse, they tell you horror stories. It, you know, they they do that. That's like some poor young woman who's pregnant and then all the women tell her their horror stories of childbirth you, you know just don't ever do that and don't tell people that are nervous about running dogs all the horrible things or mistakes that you've made that you know tell them some other time but not when it's time to get ready you know they people need to know what works so for one I think it's very good for people to, in their heads, not not while you're not even at an event, you know, when you're sitting there in a chair in the backyard watching the fireworks or whatever you're doing, think about and go through in your mind if you're a real nervous type. Be running, go through the entire deal. You're at this event that's in a place you've never been with cover that's heavy and there's kids screaming and you know all kinds of stuff happening, and you're going to run your dog at whatever level you're doing. Go through that stuff in your head. It's like all this stuff is going on, but we have a double or a triple, and the birds are here and here and here, and the order that I pick birds up have, it would be very helpful <laughs> if you had a way that you train. You know, there's real, I, my, all of my clients and stuff, you know, we always pick up in a certain order, last bird down, then the next shortest, and the longest one is at the end, generally. You know, so you have a, a rhythm and a way of picking up things. So you don't have to go, oh, my God, how do I pick these birds up? I just saw Joe Professional do it this way. There, I should do it that way. It is very helpful when you're running these things if you have a way that you do it. So you don't have to sit there and guess and watch everybody in front of you and reinvent the wheel. You need to do what you have consistently done in training. So you need to have something that you do consistently in training. And I'll just say this, primary selection, that is when the dog gets to get whatever bird it wants every time, means the dog makes all its own choices. And when you train like that, your dog will always make its own choices. And if you've got a bird that landed in some running water and is drifting away, and that's not the one they choose, um, you know, you could get into a bind. So for me, I don't, I don't do primary selection. Um, 
we have order in a way that we do stuff. The dog knows it. I know it. And we don't argue. So those of a, those of people that say, I let them go get whichever one they want, means they get to do whatever they want. And sometimes that'll be good, and sometimes it won't. So it's kind of better if you guys have a system. So that way you're not nervous when the marks are weird, set up a way you've never seen before. You have a system. That helps you feel more in control of the situation. That is a big benefit. So anyway, just think about that one. But run through in your mind, not <clears throat> right before you're going to run, but get practice doing stuff like that in your head. Okay, this is, I'm going to run it this way and this way. Remember, you're sitting in the backyard having a nice tea and getting ready for the evening. And you're just going over this in your head. And the more you do this, of course, the better. And so you pick up the marks a certain way, however you do it. And you picture your dog walking to the line with you at your side and sitting down correctly the first time. Uh, if you have a big battle over that, you probably shouldn't be running dogs yet. You need to walk up, sit down, face a certain direction that's meaningful, however it is you train, and then have the marks go down. Your dog sits and watches. Not you. You don't need to watch the birds go down because you've already done that. You know you do always need to glance up. I'll say, watch your dog 99% uh, of the time. You need to look up and make sure you know where every bird landed, okay, in case you got a handle or yours rolled somewhere funny or something happened. But other than that, watch your dog. Now, my personal advice is do not make a bunch of noise. Do not talk because when you talk, you're drawing their attention to you and not on what you want it on, and that is that, is that bird going down. So in my long experience, I don't want to inter interrupt anything on dog focus. Nothing. If they're staring at that bird, which is how I would train them, I will let them stare at the bird. And when the next one goes down and whether the gun or the duck call or whatever goes off or the winger makes its noise, they look over there and then they stare at that. I am not talking to them. Again, just like if I'm talking to you, I draw your attention to me. I don't want the dog thinking about anything other than watching the bird go down. So practice how you would really like to be able to run this. You know, when you watch the really people have been doing it forever that finish nationals and do great things, this now it's a lot of commotion and talking and stuff. It's all about those dogs focusing on the work. So practice that in your mind. And then similarly, when you're there's a blind on there or a double blind, okay, run that in your head. And I literally run that in your head and when you do that because here's one of the places where people also put themselves out is you're nervous and so everything speeds up it doesn't seem like it to you but people watching you going whoa take a breath whoa you know because whistle cast whistle cast and in thing when you get all kind of wound up that way transfers directly to your dog and they make different things of it depending on your history and what kind of dog they are and what's happened but they aren't fully focused on running a blind. So if you slow down, if you, you know, decide, okay, I'm not going to let them get any further than this on this thing, all in your head. And also before you go run a test, this is also the thing to do. If they get further on, you know, outside of that bunch of scrubby stuff over there, I'm not going to let them get there. So I'm going to stop them. What cast do you give? Don't overcast when you're nervous. People overcast. 
cast way away, and then the dog's going sideways, back and forth, and the people are frustrated, and they don't know why they're doing that. It's because you're overcasting and you're handling real fast because you're all sped up because you don't have a real thought-out plan for this. So the thought-out plan is a really good thing to do until you get so the pros you watch, the ones that are good, They've done that so many times that they automatically have a certain way of dealing with things. And it's basically a muscle memory and mental memory they have. And until you have that, practice getting it. But you have to run the blind in a very focused way. Go this way, stop. Gather their focus, right? Then give an appropriate cast, not a giant, huge one. And then if, when they get out so on the you know, other side of that, you know, bunch of rock right there, you, you already knew you were going to stop them before they got there. Stop them. Gather their focus. Give them the correct cast. So if handlers that do that can get the most out of their dog, handlers that are just on some kind of frenzy deal <laughs> without thinking something's going to go, not always, but you, that's when stuff goes funny. I ne he never does that in training. You know, it's because you don't handle in that way in training. Or, you know, you don't feel the way you do, and everything is sped up, especially the speed up thing. If you're brave, have somebody film you while you do that stuff, and then just watch and see perhaps what you did. Or if you're real nervous, your whistle 30 feet in front of you is really loud. Okay, that's yelling at a dog. Do you want to do that? Is that what you intend? And then the moving around and all the different stuff. So many, many failures are because of that particular thing right there. And the thing, the, one, the way that you do that, particularly when you're new and nervous, is run that stuff through your head a lot. You know, if you don't have time for that or you're just not that type, then you're going to pay the price because when you're running, you're not at the level of preparation that you need to be. And your preparation needs to be so that you allow your animal to be as focused as possible on the very simple things that are happening down there, out there. Overthinking this is also, along with the nervousness and the fast, rapid, not really thinking, thinking, is overthinking the thing. So when you're at a test, well, I don't care, I think even when you're training, instead of the overthinking human brain, it would be much better if you could get into a, a, more of your the canine brain, the dog right there. The dog is not thinking all the stuff that you do that you are. The dog isn't thinking, "Oh, I'm gonna really screw them on this one." I think they're not thinking that either. They're basically absorbing everything they get from you and combined with the experiences of the past, decides what they're gonna do right there. That's what they do. So it's not like that's a bad dog giving you the finger. That's not what's happening. They're reflecting basically everything. What you ideally want, and I've said this many times, is for that dog not to be thinking about the kids screaming, the, I, I've never seen this place before. What are these people right behind me? Gallery's too close. There's the bird rack. They're not thinking about any of that stuff because in training, that's never you you create an intense focus to the maximum capability of that particular dog you create a focus so you go out of the holding blind or work behind the truck whatever you are and you walk out and they sit down and they look out and you're not arguing about 
where they're sitting, the direction they're sitting, nothing. Have, that's, you need to resolve that in training, not at the test. Come out. They should walk. You know, they're going to, yeah, especially they're young, going to be pretty excited. Make sure they sit down the way that you need them to, and then they're done. Teach them that. Don't go up there and do the forwards, backwards, turn around, come back, move this way, here, there. Show all this stuff which brings all of the energy and the focus onto the line and you, and none of it on the birds out there. So if you, you can get all, virtually all of their focus externally out there in the field, you're a lot better off. They're not a dog bot where it's like, okay, I'm going to spend 20 seconds with 57 commands trying to get this dog lined up backwards, forwards, here, here, start over. Wait, no, over here. Blah. Frustration. Get frustrated. Okay. Whew, okay. Oh, and then you wind up not winning anyway. They still are right wherever they want to be. So you just ruined a bunch of good time and really broke up their mind. into. And then they associate, oh, man, when he or she gets real frustrated like that, this stuff happens. So now they get that thought. You don't want any of that. You want them to come up, sit down, look out. If there's signs of where marks are going to be, they can see that. I personally don't think you have to tell them all of that. To go out, look at that, mark your, you know, that they should know that from training. So you don't even have to say hardly anything. You know, maybe sit or whatever. And, and have them focused entirely on that and have them when one bird goes down as far as they're concerned that's the bird i i've watched so many people over the past weeks you know the bird first bird goes down and the minute it hits the ground they're moving them to someplace else you know so they only had so long to focus on that bird versus remaining focused on that bird until another one is going to show up now, with some tests, you know, you may have to step up or do something to move their focus. But, man, let them focus on those birds as long as you can because then they have a better shot of remembering where it is and going to get it. But, again, that means you're not thinking your thoughts. You're thinking the dogs. And dogs are simple-minded. They're not stupid. They are simple-minded. They're going, oh, good, we're going to go get birds. And if you just let them think that and you've already taught them, you walk up and sit down, then you have a dog that's going to focus and you have a lot better chance. And then when you go to the blinds, the same thing. You know, when you finish that up and you run your blind, you know, what do you do? Have them face the right direction. Do not split hairs unless you have a hair-splitting capable dog. Get them lined up in the right direction. When they, when however you train, they're telling, they're looking out the way you want to go, kick them off. Have your whistle in your mouth so you don't have to let them go way wrong while you're fumbling to get that up in your mouth. And then slow this thing down. And those of you, and I heard it, well, my dog is really fast. Well, that's fine. Then you have to be a lot quicker in your response. So, But fast does not mean it's impossible. It just means you have to be aware they're fast and be ahead of them completely the entire time. So don't let them get, because they're so fast, too far to the left, too far to the right, deep of the blind. You got to be on top of that. So know that and in your head, practice not getting behind your dog. And then when you get frustrated and you're, you're I don't know if some of the new people know this, but they're not like an etch-a-sketch dog out there, right? Where I, okay, I'm going to get you a little 45 degrees to the left. Okay, no, now 45 degrees to the right. No, now 90 over to the left in a thing that makes no sense because we we don't have this 
this uh, progress to the blind, we're just going back and forth and they're not sure what's happening, you lose their heart, you lose their cooperation. They, they're confused. They're like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's happening. This doesn't make sense to me. And then they reflect that and people get real mad. Well, it's because you sent out four or five conflicting signals because you're etch-a-sketching instead of understanding this dog gets a picture when they're standing up there on the line. And when they kind of get the picture and you keep them within that picture, then you can keep your momentum and your confidence and your belief, trust in you. When you send a bunch of conflicting signals, they do not trust you. And sometimes they get frustrated and then they tune you out and then they don't sit or they don't take your cast and then you're all mad and we're going to go get them in training next week and it has nothing to do with that. It's because of the conflicting signals and they just going, I don't know, I don't even know. I, oh, I just don't know. Just like you would be. I, in some of my seminars in the earlier days, I used to have people run other people, run another person on a blind and do that conflicting signal thing a little bit. They got, I had people get mad, get mad, come in yelling at the other person. And it was like, okay, that's you. Imagine how that dog feels because they can't come back and tell you, what were you doing? I didn't. At first, it, it was a real learning experience for the person being handled to learn what it's like because you think you're doing a good job and you're not communicating at all what you want. And a lot of times, just kind of etch-a-sketch handling on blinds or when you're doing the mark thing, you know, if you have to handle on a mark, you don't just handle them to the bird, not the etch-a-sketch thing. It's very frustrating. Animals are not natural etch-a-sketchers, so they don't do that very well. So the preparation and allowing the dog to be focused. So train folks, not just on marks and blinds, train on walking to the line and sitting down. Train on you not making a lot of noise. Train on uh, the dog focusing outside and nothing else. But for that to happen, you have to be exactly the same way. You have to be calm, you have to be in control, and you have to be very focused. And if it's talking a lot makes you feel like you're a good dog trainer, you are incorrect. What makes you a good dog trainer is getting in that dog's head and making sure that they're clear. And if they're not good on the line and they wriggle around and they don't cooperate, then you need to go do more training on basic obedience until the dog understands this is a team thing. And if I ask you to move two inches over here to the right, you do that. So that's, that's, that would be very helpful for all of us. If people could communicate with their dogs in a way that is very meaningful to the dog, simplify everything from the overthinking human perspective and get it into the dog perspective, which is not blah, 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 forward, backward, over, this, or turn the circle, none of that stuff. If he just, we're just all about business. We're going to walk up here, sit down. And we're going to do this. Do that in your training. Work on that. And don't, I don't mean just work on it when you're running marks in your training group or when you're training. Work on it a lot without marks at all. You should be able to stand next to your dog and turn, pivot on that. Whatever side your dog is on, pit, that foot doesn't move and pivot in a circle, complete circle on that foot. One foot doesn't move. And with the here and the heel and ha have them go in. 15 degree increments all the way around with you 
first time every time. If they don't do that, both ways, around toward you and then the healing in the way away from you. If, they, if you can't do that, they sure as heck aren't going to move a little bit up on the line when you come up, when you ask them to, because they're going to be all excited. Whoa, Mark's. So that's the kind of thing that you can practice a lot and get real good at. And then you eliminate a bunch of stuff that messes the dog up. You know, whether they're looking at all the different marks, they're not focused, they're listening to you, they have to go backwards. And they, you know, that's none of that is helpful to you. You eliminate that, you got a lot better chance. And if your dog's a decent dog and you have done a good job training that stuff, they will do well. And the pass rate goes way up. So that's the retriever part of it that I want to talk about. Now, let me bring on honor stuff, walk-up stuff. And let me, well, okay, walk-ups. Everybody knows what that is, I hope. That's where you don't get to walk up, sit down, and kind of get everything ready and then signal. You walk up, and when you hit a certain spot or your dog, the first gun goes off. Uh, so then the dog has to, you can tell them to sit or whatever you do, You but the dog has to watch that. So you don't get to... F- fidget around and move them and get them all so they need to come up and when that bird goes off sit down and then focus so that's another thing you can practice that kind of thing there's a billion drills you can think of don't have to always do it on your matter of fact you have to first teach the behavior and then use it while you're running marks but that's another one where you don't want them arguing with you you don't want it where they're going, oh, my God, a bird went, oh, and they're 10 feet out in front of you, and then you're healing them back, and while you're healing them back, the other bird goes off, and then they didn't see it. All that can be eliminated by preparing for that and training, and starting with drills. You don't have to do all that in your training group when you're running marks. That's where you go find out how well your training and your drills have been doing. So that's another thing. A walk-up should be routine. Oh, there we go. Sit, stare. Now, when the second one goes off, just like in a, without a walk-up, then they click over there and look at the next one. Very, very doable. Now, the honor is another thing. That's not too much of a problem, really, but that's another thing to practice. And I'm going to say this. Don't practice honoring by having your dog watch 25 dogs run the marks. That is not teaching the thought process in their head that you want. You're doing people think there. You know, I'll just let the dog watch over here and they'll learn not to go. That's not the same as when they're up there right next to another dog, very close, things are happening, guns are going off and there's a competitive deal and there's no leash on them. That's what you have to train. So what, letting them watch a bunch of stuff, I'd never do that. I, I don't want the, I think sometimes that makes them a little bit resentful Um, but you can practice honoring with a lot of different drills if you know if you have two dogs set one down but you can't let them take a couple steps they can't wiggle you know they a sit needs to mean sit just like on a walk up or anything else they sit the first time and as uh, as we do in the upland field that is nacho bird okay those I always call those nacho birds that's nacho bird. And you have to have your dog, particularly if you've got upland stuff too, they have to know that every bird is not going to be theirs. Nacho bird. And you teach that, and there's a lot of ways you can teach that in training. But have that done so when you're honoring, it, you can't, and you know on all the venues, you can't block the view of the dog, you can't stand in the way, you can't bend over and I'm screaming at them. You, you know, they need to just sit, train them to just sit down and done. You're done. Nacho bird. Train that 
and you'll feel way more comfortable on the honor. That doesn't mean on any given day any dog isn't going to break on the honor. So that's why you have to stare at your dog the entire time. I personally wouldn't stand in the, we're about to run a mark position. I step away a little bit. So it's, we're not running a mark. It's not your bird. And just teach them, you know, here we go. It's just, it's not your bird. And there's a lot of things you can do. And any dog on any, any day could go. So keep an eye on your dog and prevent it. Because I think in every venue, you can speak quietly to your dog. Maybe not a field trial honor. But on all the others, you may speak, you can't interfere. And man, you don't want to interfere with somebody else's dog. You know, and then there's fights sometimes, dog fights. and Just, just don't do it. And don't, it, no matter how tempting, no matter how tempting, it's not the judge's fault your dog failed. It's because your dog is not honoring Nacho Bird. <laughs> it's not honoring that at all. So teach them to do that. Now I'm going to quick get over to the upland field because it's a little more simple there. But failures in the upland field, and we're talking about pointing dogs right now, failures are often ca caused by... Uh, I'm going to say lack of thorough preparation again. So what happens many times in the upland venue is the dog's pretty good. You know, you've got woe, so they kind of know. Woe's, what woe actually means is nacho bird. <laughs> because it's like once you're pointing that thing, unless it takes off or, you know, or you have to reposition, it's not your bird. Nacho bird. So that's what woe is. And again, teach the nacho bird thing right there. But what happens is people have them where they'll stand there and they won't get it. And they can get a couple of them pretty good. And the dog starts amping up and the gun and everything. And they get more and more excited. So handlers, and I've had a, a, a little bit of this, uh, zero in the Northwest. Z i got to give those people credit. I've had handlers get mad because on the third or fourth bird, their dog either busted, broke, and in pursuit of the, the dog, bird, or... Um, grabbed it and then you know terrible judging you made us go that long and we had that bad problem and again no this is a master dog nacho bird they can't I don't care what's happening it's not theirs unless you tell them um, it's not theirs and so people in the upland field one if you let your dog get a little too wild and crazy you haven't taught them this is a team thing um, and so they start to get real independent. When they get real independent, then they're real independent, and that can transfer over to their behavior on point or their, their behavior uh, when the gun goes off and the bird is produced. So again, you have to have the same thing. They have to have complete clarity on what the expectation is, and that you develop before you get up there. You need to have a dog work with you, you need to have the dog know that once it goes on point, assuming the bird isn't up and running and moving, and even then it can't chase it, right? But then they're not really pointing anymore. They're just waiting to see what you do with the bird. Um, they need to know, uh, and, and they need to know, and I'll say this too, uh, they need to know that, that they have to stay there without you telling them 15 times. If you have to keep telling them, don't move, don't move, don't move, then they are not... They're just, it, the break is going to happen sometime. The dogs need to understand when they go on point, they're done. It's not your bird, and you're done. And I'll let you know whether we produce one or if we shoot it or can't because of a safety or whatever. 
So people don't have one when you kind of duct taped your upland training and you know you can get kind of two points and if the bird is buried real good, you can get more. You got to have, if the bird's standing there looking at you, you got to have a dog that's going to point all the birds and they know that it is not your bird and they're not going to go grab it. So a lot of people, the duct tape training is what I call it. You know, you got to have it where they actually point and hold and understand what the rules are. And that's probably the biggest weakness that I've seen. So I go up to the Northwest Club and, you know, I'm judging. And I and, and before, I've seen them before. And there's some good ones there and some people that were, you know, going to get there. I'll tell you, they got there. <laughs> it, was, it was a beautiful sight. I was so impressed. I don't want to pat them on the back because I want all the Colorado dogs to be the best. But these guys were awesome. And I didn't hear anybody yell that was in that group saying whoa never in the test it was amazing and the dogs held point there's a few oopsies and a few breaks and and stuff like that because dogs are dogs but it was nice to see dogs and people that were prepared uh for an upland field and it's very doable but you got to have to care about that and find out the ways to do it and Make sure that you allow the dog to be focused 100% of the time on the work they're doing and that they understand what the rules are. All of that is in your preparation. So that's today's, you know, 33 minutes. That's plenty long. Um, again, it's, it's getting better is what this is all about. And it's not a hard thing to do, but you have to work on it. And it's not just on the training days when you're with your group. Probably some of the biggest progress you can make is when you're by yourself with your dog working on a single concept that's what they're best at they're they're not best at piling three and four on at a time but when you work on one at a time and get that really solid then you can add you know train another different one and eventually you can put them together and then you don't have to, you're not so nervous because your dog understands clearly and, and because of your consistent work it doesn't know that there's different standards, different times. You don't speed up. Get nervous as you want. But do what you have trained yourself to do. So that's uh, today's, folks. I hope everybody is enjoying our warm and exciting summer weather. And uh, that everybody is very successful in their tests. And I will be back soon.